I got my glove back and it weighed 10 pounds. It was soaking wet, like it was really bad. In the midst of a four and a half hour weather delay in the Washington game, Oregon State pitcher Jake Mulholland had left his glove outside and when he retrieved it, it was completely waterlogged. Jake used a teammate's glove to pitch the ninth inning, preserving the victory as Oregon State advanced in the loser's bracket, which meant OSU would survive to play another day and therefore Jake Mulholland had to find a remedy for his soaked mitt. I put the glove in the locker and left it there overnight hoping it would dry. The next day when we had a game, I had a soaking wet glove still. And so we were there three hours before the game and I was like talking to one of our managers. I was like, Brad, I need to dry off my glove and I don't know how. This is where some resourcefulness goes a long way. I was like rubbing towels on it, nothing was working. And I was like, I need a hairdryer or something that can dry this off. And Brad was like, okay, well, you better go ask him then. And I was like, who do I ask? And he's like, go ask the ESPN announcers. They all have like a beauty room that they're all getting ready. So go in there. So Jake Mulholland started a scavenger hunt around TD Ameritrade Park looking for ESPN announcers and hopefully a hairdryer. I literally like, walk all around the stadium and I pop my head in and it's like 30 people just stare at me and turn around they're like what is this guy doing it's like half guys half girls they're all like getting ready and I'm like do you guys have a hairdryer and they're like what and I was like I need a hairdryer for my gloves they're like uh yeah and they probably thought I was like the weirdest person ever but everyone basically found out about that I got made fun of a bunch because I was sitting in a chair putting a hairdryer on my glove for about an hour straight but it worked, so I don't care. The game Jake Mulholland was frantically preparing for was a rematch for Oregon State against the team that put them in the loser's bracket. More on that game in 30 seconds. This podcast series supports local and international charities, including Children's Garden, which is located in the Philippines. Children's Garden is a small operation, just a single home that provides housing for about a dozen teenagers who are living on the street. By providing a home, education, tutoring, and other resources, Children's Garden is changing lives. Please learn more at childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. This is Dynasty in the Woods, the story of Beaver baseball. My name is Josh Warden. Oregon State began the 2018 College World Series by losing to North Carolina, meaning the only path to the championship was to win four games in a row just to make the best of three championship series. The win over Washington was the first step, but still three more to go. And that game also cost Oregon State its leadoff hitter, as Stephen Kwan went down with a hamstring injury. Kwani arguably down the stretch has been as good as anybody in our club. I mean, he does so many things for us, so that's a tough one there. I don't know what, you know, how that's going to turn out. I don't know if he's going to play again. Uh, if he can, I know Kwani, he will. Pat Casey reshuffled the lineup, inserting Tyler Malone at designated hitter, moving Kyle Novak from DH to left field, and Jack Anderson from left field to center field, which was a bit of a surprise for Jack. I didn't do much visualization in center field. That is, that's for sure. Jack is a big proponent of visualization, and it helped him ease his anxiety in plenty of high-stakes situations, but he never bothered to visualize playing center field because he thought he would never play there. And up until now, for the most part, he hadn't. When Kwani got hurt and I had to play center field for the first time all year, and I was just like, dude, you, like, 
I, I've been here five years. I thought I've seen everything. And now I got like Case coming up to me before a game and just like, hey, we're not taking batting practice on the field, but uh, you got to play center field. And I was like, dude, okay, like this is, this is reaching the maximum amount of pressure that I can deal with right now. Speaking of pressure, how about pitching on three days rest versus the team that just beat you? Luke Heimlich had only thrown 63 pitches versus the Tar Heels in Game 1, so fatigue should not be too much of an issue, but Luke would still have to somehow perform much better than when he got bounced in the third inning with six earned runs. One helpful thing for Oregon State, while the first game versus North Carolina was played in roughly 100 degree heat, this time around it was about 30 degrees cooler. A bit more like Oregon. You got to win one at a time, and you know I've been here before. You know we had some guys really step up and, and throw on short rests and throw a lot of pitches, and and we won a lot of games in a row. Especially because of how well North Carolina played us the first game, we knew that was going to be a test. We're going to win this thing. Like we're going to win all of this. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to the 2018 NCAA College Baseball World Series and this evening's elimination game. North Carolina will attempt for the third time to avoid elimination at the hands of the Beavers who are hoping to make a run at a national championship through the loser's side of the bracket as they did memorably back in 2006. Yeah, I mean, those games, I think they do kind of get forgotten. That game was incredible. The craziness of that game speaks for itself. And we're underway as the Beavers try to keep their season alive. Breezes are blowing out towards center field on an overcast, cool, pleasant evening in the heartland. One away, Caden Grenier, the hitter. The 1-1 pitch, Caden drives it to left center field. Back goes McGee and Riley still going back on its way. So long! The wind is blowing out, and Caden Grenier takes advantage with a home run into the bleachers above the 375 mark, and the Beavers lead it one to nothing. Caden Grenier took Cooper Criswell deep to open up the rematch, and Criswell still had to deal with Adley Rutschman in the first inning. Rutschman a drive to deep left field. Back goes Riley to the track, to the fence. So long again! Rutschman hits it out, and the Beavers lead it two to nothing. Two runs in the top of the first inning is a great start for the Beavs, although the bottom of the first was not easy. Jack Anderson trotted out to center field for one of the only times he would ever play center for Oregon State. Jack is making his first start in 2018 in center. He started one game last year in center field. That first inning, man, boy, I was nervous. The unknown kind of got to me a little bit. Heimlich turns, comes to the plate. Fastball driven to right center field. Back goes Anderson. The ball misplayed by Jack off the base of the fence and right. Gatris will hold with a leadoff double. Oregon State had committed three errors in the first North Carolina game, and that play was the very first ball put in play here in the rematch. Luke Heimlich got the next two guys out, but the runner was at third base with two down. The 3-2 pitch, a chopper slowly Grenier's way. Caden from behind the mound, fires to first, in time to retire the side. Grenier's play saved a run and started a pattern in this game of OSU's defense both causing problems and sometimes fixing them right after, like the next inning after Heimlich allowed a single. The pitch on the way, changeup, swung out and missed. The ball glancing off Rutschman, who throws down to Grenier. Caden holds on to the ball, and out at second base is Ike Freeman, one away. What a great job by Rutschman to chase a pitch down 
after the swing and a miss and get something on the throw. The runner would not have been going if the ball stayed in Rutschman's glove, but the loose ball ended up leading to an out and a scoreless inning to keep it 2-0 Oregon State into the third, which is when Caden Grenier notched a two-out single to bring up Trevor Larnick. He swings and slices one down the left field line here. This will head into the corner, and it will get Caden Grenier home, I believe. Caden rounding third on his way to the plate. He will score a double for Trevor Larnick, and the Beavers lead it 3 to nothing. That forced Cooper Criswell from the game in the third inning, with OSU leading 3-0. But Oregon State had taken early leads in both of their games in Omaha, and both times lost that lead soon after. So would that happen again? Heimlich delivers a line drive base hit over the head of Michael Gretler into left field. Kyle Novak charges and will get the ball back in. And again, the theme continues for Luke Heimlich. He's not fooling the Tar Heel hitters. Luke delivers a chopper slowly back towards Luke up along first. He drops the ball and everybody's safe. Bases loaded, nobody out. Then a fielder's choice scored North Carolina's first run of the game, and there was still only one out. Heimlich delivers a chopper over the head, and a fair ball called that'll score two runs of Zach Taylor. A chopper into right field over Taylor, two-run score, and the ball game is even at three on a two-run double for Brandon Riley. The ball landed in right field, clearly in foul territory, although it doesn't matter where the ball lands because it's not a fly ball, it's a ground ball. It hit the dirt in front of home plate so hard, it flew over Zach Taylor's head like a fly ball and landed in foul territory. So the question is, was it fair when it traveled past the bag? That's what determines if it should have been fair or foul. It's admittedly a hard call to make in the moment since the ball is 10 feet in the air when it passed first base, although replays showed pretty convincingly it was already in foul territory by that point. Trev's playing right field and saw it right in front of his eyes, and Trev's like, dude, this ball is fouled by two feet. Yeah, I don't see how that's a fair ball, quite honestly. I don't think it crossed the bag fair. Isn't this, why isn't this being reviewed? This play felt similar to the first North Carolina game when the Tar Heel runner should have been called out at third base, but the call was missed and it was not a reviewable play. This one also was not reviewed. It has to be the first contact on the ground after it passes the fielder, so the ball had already bounced. And thus, not reviewable. It may sound like a technicality, but it's only reviewable if it didn't hit the ground until it cleared the infield. And again, I don't understand what what replay is for necessarily if a play such as that can't be reviewed. In the end, North Carolina got two runs out of the play to tie the game. The Beavers, who had a 3-0 lead in Heimlich pitching, now see that lead gone. Luke did induce a flyout on the next at-bat, but for the second straight outing, he did not make it out of the third inning. Nate Yeske coming out of the dugout and is going to go to the bullpen right now. I can hardly believe what I'm seeing, folks. Two outings in a row, it's difficult for me to believe or come to grips with what I've seen from one of the great pitchers in Oregon State history and Luke Heimlich. Christian Chamberlain got the final out of the third inning, but the momentum and the lead and the ace pitcher were all gone. You know, I think a lot of it is really being able to have that mentality of, of just next pitch and, and just moving on. Like, even though bad things are happening around us, we got to keep going.
On a good note, the Beavers weren't trailing, the game had merely been reset in a sense. Both starting pitchers lasted two and two-thirds innings. The score was even at three to three, so it came down to the relievers. First up was North Carolina's Caden O'Brien. Rettler takes a fastball knee-high, strike three called. O'Brien delivers, fastball taken, strike three called. And O'Brien has fanned three consecutive Oregon State hitters. The 2-1 pitch on the way, Madrigal swings, and it's a fly ball to right center field. 1-2-3 inning again. The Beavers have done nothing against Caden O'Brien. Strike two, fastball taken, strike three called, and the Beavers continue to struggle against Caden O'Brien, who's not allowed a base runner. Nine in a row set down by Caden. Caden O'Brien kept OSU scoreless in the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, which put some pressure on his counterpart for the Beavers, Christian Chamberlain. Christian got the first two batters of the fourth inning out and then walked a batter before yet another dramatic play defensively for Oregon State. It was earlier in the North Carolina game, shallow left center, Kyle Novak oh comes God. in. <laughs> you already know the play I'm talking about. Jack Anderson knew right away where I was going. A fly ball brought Kyle Novak running in from left field, Jack Anderson booking it from center, Caden Grenier sprinting out from his spot at shortstop. Christian delivers a high pop fly to shallow left center. A long run for Jack Anderson. Jack and Grenier come together. Jack Anderson hangs on for the out, and the inning is over. Too long of a run for Jack, but he stayed with it. Crashes into Caden, hangs on to the ball, and the Beavers survive a near disaster. Your first instinct is like, you know, I hope he's okay. And then obviously you're glad that he caught the ball as well, but those are always scary. Fly ball communication in that stadium was difficult. There were so many people screaming. It was hard to hear. Couldn't hear each other, and, and that's just kind of what happens, especially in a stadium of 20-plus thousand people. Caden says he didn't hear me, which he might have not, but I was screaming. I watched the video. I was yelling ball. But, hey, I caught it. It's all good. Anderson the catch, and instead of falling behind 4-3, to three, a new center fielder working with a shortstop, and Jack, bless his heart, is calling ball, 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 and Caden didn't hear him, stayed with it, crashed into Jack's sternum, and Anderson is able to hang on. More than two years after the play, Caden Grenier has a clear memory of looking at Jack after the collision and seeing the ball in Jack's glove. That was such a big relief because the worst thing ever is when that does happen and then nobody catches it. And the fact that he hung on to it was obviously huge because I could get up and go, okay, now we can laugh about it. How does Caden Grenier in your chest feel? That hurt. He's a big dude. And I would know from experience. He didn't play any football, but he would have made a pretty good running back. Honestly, and, and Jack will be the first one to tell you too, is I think he might have gotten the worst end of it, of the two of us. But you never want that to happen, especially if it was like Jack, because Jack's just the nicest guy ever. So you're like, you never want to even do anything to get close to getting him hurt. I'll never forget, Jack's got a picture on his Instagram, the two photos, it's like one before he catches it and then one after he catches it. And the caption's like, when you're about to see a car accident and you can't look away. Kyle Novak is also in this photo, standing just a couple feet away since he was sprinting over from left field. And like my face is, I'm like, I'm looking at him. And then the next one is like this face of concern because Jack just got laid out because Caden was like a free safety. Yeah, there's a good picture of me just horizontal in the air and Kyle's like just freaking out, but at least I caught it, it's all good. But yeah, it was definitely an adventure out there. That catch ended the fourth inning with a three to three tie, but the defensive adventure, as Jack Anderson put it, continued in the next inning. Strike two pitch, a one hopper. 
under the glove of Michael Gretler into left field. Another error for the Beavers. It's unbelievable how unclean the Beaver baseball game has been. The 1-0 pitch is banged by the diving Grenier into left field for a base hit. Rounding third is Michael Bush. No back drops the ball. There will be no play at the plate. And North Carolina has its first lead at 4-3. Chamberlain kept the deficit to one run in the fifth inning, but the next frame brought more trouble. The first pitch to Brandon Martirano belted to center. Back on the ball, leaping up to try to grab it is Jack Anderson. He can't get it. And Martirano crushing one to right center field will go into third with a leadoff triple. The ball glanced off Jack Anderson's glove, so there's a runner on third before North Carolina's Kyle Datris hit a fly ball of his own. The pitch to Datris, hooked down the left field line in the corner. If it's fair, it's gone. It's off the foul pole and a home run. And North Carolina leads it 6-3. to three. In games where North Carolina had scored six or more runs, the Tar Heels had won 50 games in a row, the longest active streak in D1 baseball. After the home run, it was 6-3 North Carolina. And North Carolina takes full command. The Beavers are going to have a lot of work to do to try to keep their season alive tonight. The Beavers needed offense, but they also badly needed outs to keep the margin at three runs and three runs only. The guy Oregon State called on to stop the bleeding in the sixth was Dylan Pierce, a junior college transfer walk-on from Southern Oregon. Dylan had pitched in the first North Carolina game and now got a second chance at the Tar Heels and a chance to prove himself in Omaha. I remember jogging out to the mound for the first time and just like my heart pounding going, man, like, you know, you did it. Like, this is what you dreamed of. This is what you always talked about is, is being here. And it was just an honor. I was stepping on the mound for the first time. He just handed me the ball and it just felt, it felt right. It felt great. Dylan had gone from unrecruited walk-on to now pitching in the College World Series. But this significant moment for him personally came in the midst of Oregon State reeling after the Tar Heels' home run. But I knew that possibly this was going to be my only batter and we needed the out. Dylan could get revenge in the process. The next batter was Cody Roberts, who was on a five-game hit streak, including a base hit off of Dylan Pierce in the first game. Breaking ball, a towering pop foul off third. Michael Gretler and Grenier come together. It's Gretler staying with it to make the catch to retire the side. Dylan Pierce clocked in, finished the task, and clocked out, his appearance lasting just three pitches. The ball game remained 6-3, North Carolina leading into the seventh inning. Jack Anderson hits a chopper to the first baseman. Bush feeds to first just in time to Caden O'Brien covering, and the Beavers are gone in order in the seventh. The Beavers were down to their last six outs, and just to keep it a three-run deficit, they'll need a scoreless inning from their new pitcher, Jake Mulholland. Going into the seventh inning, we were down three runs, and I was pitching, and I knew that when I was pitching in the seventh inning, they're doing this because we might lose this game. We're going all out. This is it. This is our last resort, basically. Mulholland usually was Oregon State's shutdown closer, but he made an early appearance here in the seventh. With a dry glove, thanks to an ESPN hairdryer, Mulholland was ready to keep the Beavers within striking distance. In my head, I was thinking, I cannot let this get worse. I have to perform here. It was one of the few times where I was basically telling myself, I'm going to do this and we're going to win. If I can do this, we will win. 
Mulholland delivers in the slider taken for strike three called. Good pitch by Jake. I just kind of put my head down and hope for my teammates to do well, and they did like they always do. The Beavers trying to keep their championship hopes alive, down three in the seventh. Mulholland delivers, and it's banged sharply to the hole at short. Backhanded by Grenier. Long throw from the hole is in time. Jake Mulholland kept the score at 6-3, but still, OSU was down to its last six outs. North Carolina was known for closing the door in situations like these. The Tar Heels' record when leading after seven innings was 37-0. The Beavers need three. They want to try to get some of it back as we go to the eighth on a cool, overcast, kind of drizzly night in Omaha. North Carolina, six. The Beavers, three. It was in the eighth inning with last hopes running dry when something not so dry made the Beavers feel right at home. There's tons of times where we're, we're playing in like drizzle, right? And we keep playing and that's just kind of our thing. In Omaha, we remembered it, it started raining like around that time. I remember the little bit of haze. I think it was raining. The fact that the drizzle has come in may signify, hey, this is the type of weather that the Beavers are very accustomed to playing in. And I just remember all of the guys being like, it's going to happen. Like, this is us. You know, we're, we're getting into that environment. And it starts to rain. Everybody kind of looks around going, OK, it, we're, we're going to come back and, and do what we do at home. And when it's raining like that, it is just like we're back in Oregon. I can just like vividly recall it starting to sort of mist kind of like it does at Goss Stadium. And it felt like maybe that was some kind of omen. Something special was going to happen because we felt like a part of Corvallis was there with us in Omaha. When the rain comes, we kind of know that there's, uh, there's a possibility of a storm coming and that that's from us. When you got superstars like, you know, Adley Rutschman and Trevor Larnick and Nick Madrigal and, you know, Juan and Caden, I mean, the list goes on and on. You're never out of a game. When you're down 6-3 in a game like that, you know, obviously it's tough to not sit there and be like, oh, what is going on? But with this team, we never feel like we're out, no matter if we have the momentum or not. I don't think any of us ever felt any pressure, and there was never really any stress or anxiety. It was a belief, I think, not only with me, but the rest of the team felt the same way, that we were just going to find a way to get it done. We knew as a team, we knew that we had the ability and the firepower to capitalize on any mistake. And that's why we never felt like we were out of a game. We never lost hope. Hell yeah, we're going to come back. Of course we're going to come back. I've never seen a team like the 2018 team. They were so clutch in every single moment. It could have been the bottom of the ninth with two outs and we could have been down by 10. I would have trusted that we were going to come back. The confidence you hear from Caden Grenier, Michael Gretler, Dylan Pierce, and others may sound almost too optimistic, but more important than what they say is what they did next. Taylor swings and bangs one into left field for a base hit. And there you go, Zach Taylor, a solid single to lead things off. Beaver Nation now believes that uh, there's something going. Getting a leadoff single is really nice, and uh, I think hitting's contagious. You know, you get that leadoff single from Zach Taylor, and it just, it was crazy with that team. One thing would just lead to another, and all of a sudden the Beavers would be threatening. Baseball is a game where, you know, hitting sometimes comes contagious. You know, once you get the leadoff man on with no outs, that's definitely a confidence booster. That's Nick Madrigal, who was up to bat next. With the top of the order coming up, Caden O'Brien was finally pulled from the game after shutting out Oregon State the last four innings. North Carolina had that reliever and that left-handed reliever that was just carving the Beavers up. They had some arms that were incredible. They ended up pulling a guy that they shouldn't have. 
Some big hitters who have meant so much to the program coming up. Nick Madrigal, Caden Grenier, and Trevor Lornick with a sophomore named Adley Rutschman behind them. North Carolina's new reliever, Joey Lancelotti, would have to face this murderer's row of OSU hitters with somebody already on first base, pinch runner Andy Armstrong, and there were no outs. Nick Madrigal, 0 for 3 in the ball game, but the captain of the Beavers, who has been magical Madrigal throughout his career, hoping to have a little bit of that here with the drizzle beginning to fall, feeling like back at Goss Stadium at Coleman Field. I was thinking about my bat when I was on defense. You know, there's something about it. I, you know, I told myself I'm getting on base. I'm, I'm getting something going. I just made a conscious decision. I, I'm going to do it. And there wasn't a doubt in my mind that, you know, I was going to get out or anything like that. Strike one pitch. Madrigal, a line drive, base hit to center field. Andy Armstrong stops at second. And the Beavers will bring the tie and run to the plate in Caden Grenier here in the eighth. It was a poetic moment since Andy Armstrong had filled in for Nick Madrigal when Nick was out with a broken wrist earlier in the year. Now they're both on base together in the College World Series. Next up was Caden Grenier, who got in a one-ball, two-strike hole and stretched the at-bat to 11 pitches, including a pass ball and a wild pitch that advanced the runners to second and third. Three balls, two strikes, nobody out, top of the eighth. North Carolina leading 6-3. to three. Trevor Lornick on deck. A great battle between Joey Lancelotti and Caden Grenier. And a chant of let's go Beavers rolling through TD Ameritrade Park. Armstrong at third, Madrigal at second, the 3-2 pitch to Caden. Fastball, high and inside, ball four to load him up. That walk means the tying run is now at first base. Although first base was already open, so the other runners didn't advance, and now there's a force on every bag, still, Caden Grenier was certain everything was working out perfectly, as he said right in that moment to first base coach Ryan Ortiz. I got to first after my walk, and I told Ryan Ortiz, I was like, look, I go, I don't, I don't need to get a hit there. I go, these two behind me, their job is to drive in runs. The two behind him in the lineup are Trevor Larnick and Adley Rutschman. North Carolina brought in their senior pitcher, Brett Daniels, to face Larnick. The strike two pitch, swung out and missed, strike three, one away. A three-pitch strikeout for Daniels coming out of the bullpen to fan one of the top hitters in college baseball. That's still only the first out of the inning, but OSU needed to score three runs just to tie. And that'll bring to the plate Adley Rutschman, who, as we know, has been given the moniker Clutchman last year and certainly this year. I mean, Adley was really coming into his own as not just a great player, but as a superstar. He wasn't going to punch out. He wasn't going to hit a little scribbler to third. Adley homered in the first to 74th RBI this season has since slide to center and doubled to right. With the bases loaded and the Beavers facing elimination, Oregon State needed not just a good hitter, but also a calm hitter. Someone who would not be consumed by the moment, and luckily for the Beavers, that's generally how Adley Rutschman is described. Toughness and grit, will and courage, and then you combine that with the calmness and the focus and the, the quietness, and you kind of put all those together and that's what you see with Adley. Former player Tyler Graham, who was on Oregon State staff in 2018, was not feeling anxious when Adley Rutschman was put in that moment. When he comes up to the plate, you really don't stress out. You always know that something special can happen. Same goes for Adley himself. 
When you're up there, uh, base is loaded. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just being relaxed. Uh, I try to stay as relaxed as I can because the, you know, with the situation, the, you know, the crowd and whatnot, you can kind of get tense, and I hit best when I'm relaxed. So uh, that was the biggest thing for me. In, in that situation, when the, the bases are loaded there and, and Rutschman's coming up, how do you feel? How do I feel? I'm sitting at first base going, all right, this is Adley Clutchman time. <laughs> He was just kind of that guy that year. I mean, obviously, you're in the Clutchman moniker earlier in the season, and he came through with so many late game, either game tying or game winning hits. It felt like Oregon State had been in so many holes really that entire year, and it just been in a hole against Washington, and it seemed like he was going to come through. A Rutschman shift on as well for Adley. Not quite as dramatic as that for Lornick, but the shortstop, Ike Freeman, nearly behind the bag at second. Bases loaded, one out, 6-3 North Carolina in the eighth. Daniels delivers, Rutschman a drive to center. Riley goes back and will carry over his head. And off the top of the fence, Armstrong scores. Madrigal scores. Rounding third on his way to the plate is Grenier. He scores. A double for Adley, Clutchman, Rutschman. And the Beavers pull even at 6-6. And when he put that swing on the ball, it just it's it's hard to kind of comprehend how purely he hit it to just knuckle that ball out there to straightaway center. Adley Rutschman with that swing is the Beavers' all-time single season RBI leader with 77. The fact that Kaden was able to score from first on that play is pretty remarkable because that ball was hit very hard and got back into the infield pretty quickly. But Kaden got such a good jump and he read it very well and he's obviously a fantastic athlete. I love the hit, but I, I always don't follow the hit. You're always looking at the runners. Andy Jenkins was the third base coach for Oregon State, so he was the one waving Caden Grenier home. The impressive thing about Adley's hit was first Adley's hit, but second, Grenier scored from first, and he was motoring. As soon as he hit it and I saw that it was going over the outfitter's head, I was basically right on Nick's butt, right around second, because I knew he wasn't getting caught, the ball wasn't getting caught. And as soon as I saw that ball go over his head, I knew for a fact I was scoring no matter what. I remember coming out and just seeing Caden slide in and do that big old fist pump. And I got chills even just saying it right now. I can feel it. The runner with the easiest time getting home was Andy Armstrong from third base. Yeah, that was incredible. I was just making sure that the ball wasn't going to get caught. So I didn't get, you know, I had to tag up. I was kind of wrapped up in the moment. Once I saw that ball fall, you know, and it was unbelievable. I don't, I don't know. That man just comes up in the best situations possible. For Pat Casey, the surprising thing was not Adley's hit, but why North Carolina seemed so unprepared for it. I thought that they'd be playing a little deeper than they were because, you know, with a three-run lead and three guys on, the only way you can tie the game is all three guys score unless he hits it out of the ballpark. So I thought that it was a catchable ball had they been playing as deep as you should be playing with that situation, but it was smoked. I mean, it was absolutely crushed. The North Carolina coach said they were playing no doubles but their outfield was probably shallower than I would have been playing. You cannot allow a ball like that to get over your head in that situation, and that is exactly what happened. We're playing no doubles there, but that ball got out on the warning track in about two seconds. We would have had to have been literally playing on the warning track to have a shot to catch that ball. We're, we're looking out there going, you know, do we have our outfielders deep enough? Because obviously you're playing no doubles. You're trying to prevent them from tying the game there, but, um, you know, he put a good swing on it. 
Mike Fox jokingly estimates it took two seconds for the ball to reach the warning track, and the real number isn't quite that low, but it's still staggering. The ball went from Adley's bat to the warning track 400 feet away in almost exactly four seconds. Imagine being the center fielder having to track that rocket down. And even crazier, that was Adley's third extra base hit of the game. The switch hitting catcher had doubled from each side of the plate in one evening. Most importantly, after spending about an hour trailing in an elimination game in the College World Series, the game was tied and the inning wasn't over yet. Kyle Novak has been the scheduled hitter on deck, but Stephen Kwan has grabbed a bat. Kwan is in the on-deck circle. Unable to start with the hamstring injury, Stephen Kwan entered in the eighth inning with the game tied, two outs, the go-ahead runner at second base. It's really an incredible game when you think about it in a battle of matchups. Kwani going up there with a sore left hamstring and will be intentionally walked. And North Carolina will take its chances with a right hand hitting Michael Gretler. In just about the shortest appearance in baseball history, Stephen Kwan was subbed into the game, intentionally walked, and immediately subbed out. A pinch runner came in, and that's maybe the funniest part. North Carolina walked Kwan without knowing that Kwan actually couldn't run almost at all. If by some way I actually would have got a hit, like a single, and I had to stretch the two, I would have like shuffled out of the box and like backpedaled because that was what was comfortable. But you know, thankfully they walked me, so I didn't have to embarrass myself. That's the biggest travesty I've ever heard that we didn't get to see you backpedal in the college road series. <laughs> it would have been it would have been something. I think I settled on shuffling because backpedaling had a higher risk of tripping. If I'm going to backpedal, tripping would just make it 10 times worse. And Case was fully aware that you might have shuffled and he knew that was your plan. Well, I didn't really tell him that. He was like, hey, Kwani, like, you know, if something happens, you know, just walk it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll do that. But if I get there, he's not going to be mad at it. If I don't hurt myself, he won't be mad at it. So I figured, you know, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Pinch runner Preston Jones took Kwani's place, and then Michael Gretler kept the inning going with a walk that loaded the bases. Tie ball game, eighth inning, bases full, two outs, elimination game in Omaha. And Jack Anderson, who used the words maximum pressure I could handle when talking about shifting to play center field, now had seemingly maximum pressure times two with this at bat. At least that's what I figured he'd say when I asked him if he was more worried about this situation where the center field stuff kind of blindsided me. That moment hitting in that situation is kind of what I dreamed of. So it was kind of the tale of two pressures, one I was more prepared for than the other. So even when Jack Anderson worked a full count in this at bat with two outs, bases loaded, he was still less worried because of visualization. Case would always say that in big moments we'd revert to our habits. And for Jack, the habits he developed along with visualization are what he reverted to in a high-stakes situation so his mind almost shut off. I can't tell you specifically what even happened that at bat. I just knew I was up there competing. Before every pitch, I took a deep breath while kind of staring at my bat, telling myself to win the pitch. In the steady drizzle in Omaha, it comes down to a 3-2 pitch with two down and the bases loaded in a 6-6 tie in the eighth. The runners will go on the pitch. Adley Rutschman from third, Preston Jones from second, Michael Gretler from first, two away. Daniels out of the stretch, the 3-2 pitch, low, ball four. Rutschman scores, the Beavers take the lead on the Jack Anderson walk. The Beavers 7, North Carolina 6.
The Beavers had not drawn a walk in the first seven innings, and now Oregon State had walked four times in this inning alone. The next spot on the lineup was Zach Taylor's, who had been replaced by a pinch runner earlier this inning. Andy Armstrong gets a chance to bat with the bases loaded, two down. Armstrong came on as a pinch runner for Zach Taylor. And uh, with two outs and the bases loaded, you have him put down a drag bunt. What went into that decision? <laughs> well, we didn't, we didn't have him put a uh, drag bunt on hand. <laughs> Brett Daniels with a count of 1-0 and oh, and the sacks full out of the stretch. Delivers a bunt in the air, caught by the catcher. And the side is retired. And Pat Casey, arms in the air. What are you doing, Andy? He wanted to, I think he wanted Andy to take a strike. We didn't, we didn't have him put a uh, drag on it, but I appreciate the question. You know, you, you want me, Andy felt like that he had a good opportunity to do that. He saw, he, you know, so we had a great discussion about it afterwards. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, the kid's young and he wants, he wanted to do well. And, you know, the other part of it is if it would have got down and scored a run, it looked like he was a pretty smart guy, but um, it didn't work out that way, so. We go to the bottom of the eighth inning, the Beavers with the lead in North Carolina down to its final six outs. Going to the bottom of the eighth inning, Jake Mulholland stayed in the game. He could be the winning pitcher if Oregon State holds on to the one-run lead. Jake delivers, fastball sliced to left, back on the ball there. Jack Anderson makes the catch for the third out. Mulholland comes walking off the bump, nodding his head up and down like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The Beavers hope to give Jake some insurance to try to bring this one home. The drizzle has been falling steadily. It's actually picking up again now as we go to the ninth. And it seemed to come at the right time for the Beavers last inning to get a little bit of that old Pacific Northwest feel. Temperature in the mid-60s and steady drizzle feels like home for the Beavers. Nick Madrigal, first ball swinging, a fly ball toward the alley in left center. It'll get down and through all the way to the base of the fence. Nick will pull into second. First ball swinging, a double into left center field for Nick Madrigal. The infield in, three on the right side. The pitch to Trevor, banged into center field. Base hit. Madrigal scores. Lorna comes through. The Beavers lead it 8-6. to six. With a two-run lead, Oregon State's next hitter was Tyler Malone, who went two for two the previous game with three RBIs against Washington, including a home run. Tyler went the first 23 games of this season without a home run, then went five consecutive games with a dinger, then went the next 18 games without any more home runs. The Washington game was therefore his first home run in almost two months, which reminded Tyler of the beginning of his mid-season home run streak. After I hit the first one in Missouri, or in Missouri I was like, oh, they're going to they're gonna come, they're going to come, and they did. So guys were kind of joking around now you know, that I hit another one. They're like, oh, here you go. Up to this point against North Carolina, Tyler had made no progress in extending a hitting streak of any kind. He was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. The 3-2 offering hit high and deep to right. Back goes Roberts to the track, to the fence. So long! Tyler Malone, a two-run homer. The Beavers lead it 10-6. Tyler Malone, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. 
now has homered in consecutive games. I said jokingly four or five hours ago, it seems, on the pregame show, you want to get on a roll and hit in five in a row. Preston Jones at the plate, bangs the first pitch into right field, base hit. Preston Jones added a single, Michael Gretler reached by an error, and then Jack Anderson was next, just one inning after his go-ahead RBI. Adley Rutschman, a three-run double last inning. Jack Anderson whacks it into right field, base hit. Preston Jones rounding third on his way to the plate. He will score. Jack Anderson, an RBI single to right, and the Beavers lead it 11 to 6. After four straight scoreless innings, the Beavers had batted around the order in the eighth and ninth innings, turning a three-run deficit into a five-run lead. The only thing left for OSU was to close the door in the bottom of the ninth. 11-6 Beavers, two outs, bottom of the ninth inning. Mulholland from the stretch, a line drive to right field at Trevor Larnick, makes the catch! The Beavers with a dramatic come-from-behind win keep this season alive. Four in the eighth, four in the ninth. They rally to defeat North Carolina and will play Mississippi State on Friday. The final score, the Beavers 11, North Carolina 6, and one of the more dramatic victories among many in the history of Oregon State baseball, the Beavers play on. We were not supposed to win that game down by that much. I mean, if any of them, that would have been the game that we should have lost, I guess you could say. Coach, I think at this point, everyone knows how special Hadley is, but this performance tonight, what, what are you seeing out of this guy here on this stage? Well, you know, there's something special about him, the way he catches, the way he gets the pitchers under his arm and gets them going and how he controls the game. And now the offensive piece has jumped. You know, and this is the first time in his life he's ever been a full-time baseball player. Didn't have a chance to work on things, and he's just such a worker. And it doesn't hurt to be 6'3", 215 pounds, you know. So the gene pool's pretty good there. Here's some Adley Rutschman trivia you can use to stump your friends. When Oregon State beat Oregon in the 2016 football game, who was the first player to touch the ball that day? The answer is Adley Rutschman, who was OSU's kickoff specialist that season. Not only did Adley light up the Tar Heels in this elimination game for three hits, two doubles, a home run, four RBIs, and two runs, as Pat Casey points out, Adley is only just now coming into his own as a baseball player. The same kid who would get drafted with the first overall pick of the 2019 MLB draft was spending 2018 finally in his first year not splitting time with football. After breaking the state record in high school with a 63-yard field goal at Sherwood High, he came to OSU as a two-sport athlete. He even tackled Christian McCaffrey once, the future NFL star. But here's another fun piece to the Rutschman saga. Adley was not the first member of his own family with the opportunity to play multiple sports at Oregon State. Kip Taylor was the football coach, and he offered me a scholarship to come to Oregon State in football. And I told him that I would really like to play two sports, football and baseball. This is Ad Rutschman. 70 years ago, Ad wanted to play football and baseball at OSU, just like his future grandson would do. Head football coach Kip Taylor agreed on the condition that Ad would participate in spring football practices, even if they conflicted with baseball practices. 
Well, I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but I figured that if I can't practice baseball, I'm just going to go over there and play, that that's not going to work out. And besides, if, even if they did do that, I, I would alienate myself from every baseball player there. Ad Rutschman is a smart man and knew this wouldn't be easy at Oregon State, but he knew he could play two sports at Linfield. Ad went on to wear many hats at Linfield, first as a student athlete, later on as a coach and athletic director. He won national championships as a baseball and football coach and earned National Coach of the Year three times. By the time his grandson Adley was making a name for himself, though, Ad Rutschman would joke that in the end, he'd be most famous not for his own accomplishments, but just for being related to his grandson. I met a family today who have, they've named their one-year-old Lab Pyrenees mix Rutsch on behalf of Adley. Even more important than Adley's notoriety, though, is the character and integrity that he and his family are known for. Great people, very down to earth. Zach Taylor goes way back with the Rutschmans, both being coached at some baseball camps by Adley's father, Randy, and playing with Adley in middle school and in high school and at college, and their friendship is actually strongest now after college. To be able to have those like tough conversations with him and someone that I can talk to him about anything, that's a huge relationship in my life, and I'm fortunate to have him as my best friend. Adley's just a class act. If you were to say Oregon State baseball, the first person you better be thinking of is Adley Rutschman. Ron Dyer also has a long history with the Rutschman family. He was recruited by Ad Rutschman to play at Linfield, although Dyer chose to play at Oregon State. Years later, Dyer taught at Tigard High School with Adley's father, Randy Rutschman. I've known Adley for many, many years. In fact, he went to the same daycare that my kids did. So I've known uh, the Rutschmans forever, and you're not going to find a better person. And Randy and Carol are just phenomenal. And it's not just Ad and Adley who got the athletic genes either. Randy, Adley's father, played college baseball too. In fact, about 40 years ago, Randy Rutschman played a minor role in a record-setting day in Beaver baseball history. Ron Dyer, who you just heard from, had five hits in one game, tying the record that stands to this day. And the Linfield catcher that day, who had a front-row view for each one of those hits, well, that was Randy Rutschman. He'll always say, well, I probably told you all the pitches that were coming. A few decades later, Randy Rutschman continues to watch plenty of Oregon State record-setting performances, but now with his own son setting those records. But don't think that Adley gets all his drive and passion from his male predecessors. That also comes from Adley's mom. Rutsch gets that competitive drive for sure from Carol. Like, she gets after it on a golf course. You want to know who's competitive in that family? Carol can golf. She is very competitive, so where Adley gets a lot of his competitiveness, Dad is competitive, but Mom is very competitive and just a great person. She's the fiery one for sure. I think I've played a round or two with her, and she just wants to win, and I love it. Like, it, it gets you fired up. With a competitive mom, a father who coached, and a grandfather who coached, Adley was the consummate coach's kid. Adley went to Sherwood High School, and I was coaching at Tigered at the time, and when we played them in a summer game, Adley was on first base and we knew that he was going to be stealing. So we throw a pitch out. He'd start his steal, he saw a pitch out, and he shut it down and came back. You don't see that in high school ball. And not only was Adley a precocious baseball player, he was also just the son of two modest school teachers known for their humility. 
super down to earth people. I mean, shoot, Randy is still out there like throwing us BP at the high school field, just like we were in college or we were in high school. You know, like not a lot's changed. If you were to say Adley Rushman, where did he come from? And you drop those two people in there, you drop the apple down, that apple fell right by him. This has been episode 11 of Dynasty in the Woods. New episodes come out weekly, but you can listen ahead of time by becoming a premium member or by donating any dollar amount to one of the featured nonprofits. To learn more, click on the link in this episode's description. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Join me next week as Oregon State tries to stave off elimination in the College World Series, plus a funny story involving Michael Gretler. All that and much more next time. Radio broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. Have a great day, everyone, and let's talk next week.